Good morning. Welcome to Parkwood this morning. It's good to be back with you. I've been gone for a week. Uh, my wife and I went on a mission trip uh, to the uh, Ivory Coast. Had a good trip. Uh, just to come back, uh, just gospel refreshed. Uh, we want to talk about a couple of things. Tonight we have a campus meeting. And one of the reasons we're going to have this campus meeting is to talk about upcoming mission trips. How do you go Sort of the frame of mind and, and what you need to do to plan to go. And I would just, I would just urge you, if you've never considered it, having someone, a guy who's the first one who works too hard and, and oftentimes gets close to burnout and those kinds of things, this was an opportunity for me to just go and just tell people about Christ. And it was just an amazing time. We're going to talk about that on December the 3rd. We have a day of prayer and fasting. It's on the info guy. And before that, we're going to talk about that. Mike and Heather McAfee is who we worked with, and they send you their their blessings and their, their prayers. So we've been in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Been working our way through Galatians. Um, and so as you find verse 11, just remind yourself of this. Remember, Paul has written this letter to the church, to the churches in Galatia. He's, a, he's taken a defensive posture with this letter because there are false teachers, Judaizers, who have come in and begin to undermine his apostleship, and ultimately undermining the gospel. And so this is what he's been getting to. And so when we come into this text this morning, you just got to be ready. So because he's talking to the church, he's talking to Galatia, but he's recounting to a story that happened, an encounter, rebuke that happened between him and Peter. And so stand with me to your feet in reverence for God's word as we read Galatians 2 and verse, beginning with verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw... But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Pray with me. So Lord, this is a non-negotiable doctrine of our faith. And so Lord, we come to your word soberly this morning. That we dare not miss this. We dare not miss the reason why he even brought this confrontation up in this letter. Before he, he opens up this amazing doctrine that we can be justified before a holy God. How can that happen, Lord? Help us to understand, Lord. Even today, if there's any in here, whether in fact we are justified or not. How can we know? Thank you for your word. Give us wisdom and clarity this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So last week we should have learned a couple things. 
I listened to Micah's sermon online as soon as I got home. I was blessed by it. But we should have learned from Paul's life a couple of very clear things. One is that Paul was seeking to destroy the church. Paul wasn't seeking after Jesus. But Christ came looking for him. And with this man who sought to destroy the church become a force of the gospel to this world to build up God's church. So Paul's life then is a testimony. Look, look at with me Galatians 1.15. Paul's very clear about this. But he said in Galatians 1 verse 15, but when, he, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. Do you, do you see that? There's actually three points of doctrine there, but I'm only going to talk about two. He called him by his grace through Christ. Do you see it? He said, just look at my life. I am a living witness that salvation comes by grace alone through Christ alone. Paul then has another clear message. The second thing you should have learned from the message last week. That Paul and the other apostles, Peter, James, John, they, they received the gospel from Christ. Paul said, I didn't, re I didn't go over there to Peter, James, and John and have a conversation to start with. I got my revelation of the gospel directly from Christ. And then we talked and, and said, we are unified in the gospel. So this gospel came independently, but they are united He's going, to, he's going to work on that. He's going to talk about that here in just a minute. Martin Luther says this. The doctrine of justification is the article upon which the church stands or falls. And so to help us understand how important this doctrine is, he tells a story to the church in Galatians. He tells a story to us. And let's look at it. We just got through reading it. Just review the story with me. Look at beginning in verse 11. So he came to Syrian Antioch. That's different than... Antioch too. This was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Peter had already came there. and He had been there. And he had been eating with the Gentiles. You see that in verse 12? He was eating with Gentiles. That's perfect tense. That means ongoing activity. He's been eating with them. In other words, you know, Peter's come. He was a Jewish guy, but now he's realized. and He's got this big old rack of ribs. One of those salted baked potatoes, you know, they put the Put the sea salt on, it's good. And I bet he was even eating yeast rolls. But remember, table fellowship, we just got through singing about it. Table fellowship in that day culturally meant acceptance. There would have been no way before Christ that a Jew would sit down at a table with a Gentile. But that's what he's doing. Eating things forbidden by the Old Testament law. That's what he was doing. And what happened? Men from James arrived. Now, now says the men from James. Now, what did they come to say? What did they say? Did they misrepresent James? What? We don't know. It, does, it doesn't say. Here's what we do know. Paul doesn't correct James. Paul corrects Peter. What happens? These men from James, these men of the circumcision party, Judaizers, came. And what does Peter do? Immediately he pulls away from the table. This has such an impact that he says, even Barnabas, I mean, he was the nicest guy in the room. I mean, man, you can't make an enemy out of Barnabas. You smack him in the head, he wouldn't get mad. He's, he's a good guy. Even Barnabas backed away. 
And so at this moment, it's Paul. Wouldn't you like to be around Paul? Paul was fearless. Paul said, hold it. And the room got quiet. He's describing his confrontation to the church in Galatia. So why is it here? I mean, what's the connection between justification by faith and, and this story? It's a good story. I want you to see three things this morning. Before we even get into the doctrine of why this is here. First lesson. When the core doctrines of the faith are being negated, the violators must be opposed for the sake of the gospel. There's two important things in that if you've got your notes. One is core doctrine. The other is for the sake of the gospel. So why does Paul bring this up? Why does Paul encounter it? Why does he even bring it up? Because he's, he's teaching us something, something we said last week, that this gospel was received independently and we are, we are united in this gospel and that we, the apostles, are accountable to this gospel. We are underneath its authority. The church stands under the authority of God's word and God's word alone, and so does Peter. And so he, he's holding him accountable because it is a doctrine that he has received that is non-negotiable. And he reprimands him, look, in front of everybody. Verse 14, I said to Cephas before them all. This was a public rebuke. He said, that's sort of harsh. Now, we didn't call him over here and says, Peter, let's go have coffee. No, no, no. He said, hold it. He sinned publicly. He was rebuked publicly. This is clear scripture, 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20. But listen, we need to understand something. We need to glean from this this morning. Every one of us are leading someone. And your sin in your life, is you do not live in isolation. The minute you sin, you begin to affect other people. And so it was in Peter. As soon as he sinned, other people were affected by it. Listen to what 1 Timothy 5, 19 says about leaders. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Verse 20. And for those, those elders who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. You sin publicly. You cause God's people to, to, to stumble. You must be rebuked publicly. And that's exactly what he did. But make sure this is not the fact that Paul didn't like Peter's personality. He didn't like something about him. He didn't like a habit. Got on, got on his nerves, and so he's going to make a big deal. No, this was a core doctrine. These are not petty differences. That's an important note to make. Second lesson. One who violates his own conviction because of the fear of man is being hypocritical and is out of step with the gospel. Make no mistake, brothers. Look at verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray. Turn with me to Acts chapter 10. I want you to see something that Peter knew better. Peter had no excuse. Peter had convictions. Acts chapter 10. Do you remember this story? This is the story where Peter encounters Cornelius. Do you remember it? Cornelius is what? This is a Gentile. So what happens here? This is, in, this is important to understand why he was confronted and how he connects to justification by faith. Do you remember this story? He's waiting on his kosher food to be prepared, Peter is. And he's up on top of the top of the roof of the houses where they usually lay out and hang out. And he goes into a trance. 
And God brings a sheet down. You remember it? And he lays this sheet out from under him. It's got reptiles and birds and all these kinds of things. And what does Jesus say? Look at verse 12. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Verse 15. And a voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Happened three times. And just so you understand that even this morning, and in this story, this has nothing to do with food. This has something to do with people. Look at verse 28. Acts 10, verse 28. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Do you see it? Peter had convictions was given to him by God that because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross that no one is to be called unclean or common. So he knew it. And that's why he was eating with them. <laughs> that's why he was eating with them. Because he was practicing his conviction until the fear of man came in. Until these, these men from James came in. And then what did he do? It was the fear of man who violated. So get this. Right beliefs plus wrong behavior equals hypocrisy. He had the right beliefs. He knew it. But he had the wrong behavior. And here's what he's saying. The way you're living, Peter, sending a message. You're, you're preaching. You are. You preach with your mouth. You preach with your life. And right now you're sending a message to the Gentiles that maybe they're not fully accepted by Christ. Maybe they're not. He's saying, Peter, don't you understand that your new life, that your rightness before God came by trusting in Christ, not by observance of, of the Old Testament dietary laws? And if that's true, Peter, why in the world would you compel Gentiles to do that when you know they'll make a work out of it? Why would you do that? That's dangerous. It's bad theology. So he tells them, verse 14, you're, you're out of step with the gospel. You know what that, that word, not in step, means walking straight. He says, you're not walking in straight with the gospel. In other words, Peter, your life has no fidelity with the truth. Therefore, you must be corrected. It's his hypocrisy. So the lessons is our core doctrines must be defended and our convictions must not be compromised. Because when they do, it is the gospel that is, that is impacted. Number three, this is important in the biblical South. We need, to, we need to lean forward this morning and understand our context of this scripture. When you think your works or your race makes you superior to others, you have just violated justification by faith. Let me read that again. When you think your works or your race makes you superior to others... You have just violated justification by faith. And as this doctrine unfolds, that should get more and more clear that at the cross, we've all got a problem. And none of us is closer to God than anyone else. None of us. White supremacy is a gospel issue. The works for Jewish people, their works and their ethnicity was intricately connected together. That's what it means to be kosher. Satisfying Jewish law. This was the core issue with Peter. Because Peter was given this idea that Jews and Gentiles could not mix 
at mealtime because Gentile Christians were not righteous because they were not kosher. You see the issue. You're not righteous because you're not kosher. And if you want to be righteous, you must be kosher. You must embrace our traditions. Our culture. Paul's message to Peter was this. God didn't have fellowship with you on the basis of your culture. He didn't have fellowship with you because you're race. By the way, Peter, you're not God. Why did he have fellowship with you? You might be a good Jew. You might have been a devout Jew. But your race and customs, look, look at verse 16, has nothing to do with it. Therefore, how this bleeds out in our life is how can you have fellowship on the basis of race and culture with other people? Romans 15 verse 7 should be a motto of our life as Christians. Romans 15 verse 7 says, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So this pulling away from the Gentiles was putting up a wall that Christ died to tear down. He said, that's out of step with the gospel. You're violating the gospel. Listen. Listen to me. For those people to believe in Jesus and worship over there, and for us people to worship Jesus over here is out of step with the gospel of Jesus Christ according to God's word. He has torn down the wall and made us one and we dare not build it back up. This is the gospel, brothers and sisters. This is the reason this story is here. The following verses, verse 15 and 16, are the very thesis for the rest of Galatians. I have exercised as much control as I could not to get to justification by faith to save it for this moment. I wanted us to understand that we're saved by grace through Christ. But now he un unloads justification by faith. And when he unloads it, he will not take his finger back off of it. This is the thesis for the rest. How is a person made right with God? And how do we live out that righteousness? This morning, we only concern ourselves with how is one made right with God? Now, that was the introduction. <laughs> the rest of it goes pretty quick. So how is a person made right with God? Let's ask this. How is a person not made right? How are they not? This needs to be understood today. No one is justified by their works. It's what verse 16 says. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Look at that word, a person. That's all persons. He's made the point. Jews, Gentiles, nobody has a leg up in this game. No one is justified. Jew nor Gentile. He brings up this word justification. This is the first time. Remember, this is a very early epistle. This is the first time the word justified is used. And he uses it three times. And we know if we've read anything of Paul, that this is one of his favorite words. He's going to use it over and over. And he's barring it. It's a legal term. Justification is a legal term barred from the law courts. It is the exact opposite of condemnation. To condemn is to declare someone guilty. To justify is to declare them not guilty, to declare them righteous. And here what we have to ask ourselves the question. If God is a just judge and he just declared us righteous when in fact we're guilty, is he really a just God? Two ways today, no matter who you are. Two ways that you can be right before a holy God. 
the God that you know that exists in your own conscious creation bears witness to it, and the very conscious in your soul bears, bears witness to it. The only two ways you can be right before that God, the one true God, your perfect righteousness or Christ. So let's look at the problem, Romans 3. Romans 3. And say, Pastor, I'm not that bad. I believe I can do it. Romans 3, verse 11. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Verse 12. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. So I did this a hundred times last week when I was evangelizing. Someone give me a Ten Commandment. Just holler out one. Come on, the first service hollered them out. Holler them out. Stealing. There you go. Honor your father and mother. Give me another, Give me one more. Thou shalt not kill. Absolutely. Okay. Now look at verse 20. Romans 3 verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So what should have just happened when we, when we read out these Ten Commandments? Honor your father and your mother. Who in here has not dishonored their father and their mother? Everybody done it perfect. Dean's never dishonored. <laughs> you, see, you see what it does. Immediately, God's law puts his finger in your life that says you've sinned against a God that you must obey perfectly. The conclusion is in verse 23 of Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Therefore... And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Listen to me. I got bad news for you today. There is not one single thing about you that is intrinsically perfect or righteous. Every aspect of your being, from your mind, your will, your emotions, and your soul, has been contaminated by sin. And Ephesians says you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And that's a problem for a holy God. You are separated from God. You are not perfect. Therefore, you cannot be made right in your own righteousness before a holy God. That's bad news. It is. And yet today, what do we have? Moralistic, therapeutic deism. You know what that teaches? Moralistic. God just wants people to behave. Yeah, we like the Bible. It just tells us what my kids need to do. Besides, I don't really want my girl to get pregnant, do I? So we just need to be moral, therapeutic. God wants people to be happy and well-adjusted. It's His purpose for your life, for you to be happy. Just don't hurt people. Deism. Yeah, there's a God, and He made the world, but He's not involved in our life. He's disconnected. You see, a disconnected God, you don't have to worry about being offended. A personal God, you have to worry about it. Listen, moralistic, therapeutic deism will send you to hell just like paganism will. Because that's what it is. Moralism doesn't save anyone. The reality this morning, I want to paint this picture very clear. That many of us think our good works, let's say your good works is a bicycle. It's a bicycle. And, and you say, sinful man exists in Kings Mountain. I, Dean lives in Bessemer City. But, but God lives in Bessemer City. Now, my good works is a, is a bicycle, and it's going to take me a little while to get to Dean's house. But if I ride hard enough, if I pace myself, and if I take the right roads, I can get there. That's not the picture that the gospel's painting today. The picture, the, the picture God's painting is, 
you're a sinful man and you're in King's Mountain. God exists in Moscow and your good works is a bicycle. And guess what? You can't get there from here. And here's what's going to happen, friends. You're going to get to the end of your life. The end of your life. And you're going to be at the coastline of your life. And you're going to look out and there's going to be an ocean between you and God. And you can't get there from here. The Bible says there's only one way. That is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Being Jewish nor being American has any saving privileges. Being born in the South, being having Christian parents, having a grandmother that loved Jesus, none of that gives you any saving privileges because your sin separates you from a holy God. So how can one be made right? Only we are justified by grace alone in Christ alone through faith alone. Look at verse 15 and 16. You see the we? We ourselves know, verse 16, yet we know. So he's still, Paul's still talking to Peter here, <laughs> preaching the gospel to him. He says, Peter, we know that through faith in Christ we are accepted. Through faith in Christ we are justified before God. Listen to me. We need to get our language right. We need to put our language in order, brothers and sisters. It is God who must justify us. It is God who must accept us. We do not justify Him. He must accept us. We are the ones with the problem. We are the ones who are separated by sin. We are the ones who can, the only one who can get to God is with a bicycle with flat tires. God must accept us. That's what it means to be justified. It means He must declare us righteous because we have a problem. This problem is not a little problem. We are not justified, verse 16, by works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Look at, look at our definition. Justification is a gracious act of God by which he declares a sinner righteous solely through faith in Jesus Christ. Our problem with justification is it's a legal problem. It's a legal problem. You don't have just a relationship problem with God. You've got a legal problem before God. Justification, then, is a gracious act of God. Calvin said justification by faith alone is the hinge upon which everything turns. And if it's the hinge, Jesus Christ is the door. So let's unpack this definition. We are saved by grace alone. That's what it means by the justification is a gracious act of God. It means that we have said, and that our life has proved, that works cannot satisfy God's righteousness. Our works are contaminated by sin. Though I lived 10,000 lifetimes, I would only prove to back myself up from God, never make advance towards Him. And so, I must be saved. If salvation is anything, it is grace. Look at this quote. Nothing in us warrants, merits, or initiates, or causes God to save us. Justification is all about grace, which means that faith itself is evidence of grace. Therefore, We've got to be careful not to make faith into a work of the law, so to speak. Yet I fear that's what we've done with such things as formulaic prayers, which when recited are supposed to result in conversion. If we're not careful, do this work and you'll be saved. It's what we're communicating to people. And that's exactly what they were communicating to the Gentiles in the story. Do this and you'll be saved. Justification is a gracious act of God. But it comes, listen, it comes through faith. 
through faith in Christ. What is faith? Faith is trust. Faith is belief. And it's belief in a person and his work. Not your work. But listen, it's probably one of the most important things I'm going to say in the message. Listen to this. Not my words. John Stott. It, faith, is an act of committal. Not just assenting to the facts that Jesus lived and died, but running to Him for refuge and calling on Him for mercy. Brothers and sisters, this is what's dangerous about a prayer where you get somebody to recite that they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He lived and He died on the third day because you could just make them a child of the devil because that's what He believes. He believes it. He believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He believes that He lived and never sinned. He believed that He raised from the grave. But what's the difference? Faith is a committal. It is a submission. It is a pleading for mercy. It is treasuring the objects of your faith, Jesus Christ. And that's something the devil has never done. And that's what we do when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. This is an act of God, mercy. But it is exercised through faith. We believe saving Faith is a radical gift from God, not just a mere human possibility. Romans 5.17. Romans 5.17 says, For it, because of one man's transgression, death reigned through one man, much more will, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. Only in Christ can you be declared righteous. Because this righteousness is an alien righteousness. It's alien. It's not intrinsically in you. It is in God. And through faith in Christ, through faith in His perfect life, and in His work, and submitting to His Lordship and Savior that you cannot work, and so we must trust in His work, He saves us. How does that happen? He imputes it. He takes His righteousness and he gives it to you. He takes your debt and he puts it on his son. Romans 3, 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God poured forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. Verse 26. Listen. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I want you to see something here. It's pretty cool. Find the first comma in verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Now find the second comma, really the third one. You see where it says to be received by faith? To be received by is one Greek word. It is a preposition. It means by, on account of, or through. So get this. We are justified. This is what it's saying. We are justified by His grace as a gift through faith. Everything else between the commas is describing the very nature of the gift. This is important because the very nature of the gift makes God both just and justifier. There had to be propitiation. You see that word? And you hear that word, you need to think wrath-removing substitute. Someone had to bear the wrath that you deserved. You either have to pay it on your own good works, or Christ had to pay it. Christ paid it. His blood removed the wrath, removed the legal problem that you had before God. 
God the judge takes the righteousness of Christ and he credits it to your account when you put your faith in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's no other way to remove the legal problem you have in your life other than faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other way. When we went through Genesis, we remember we kept saying, Jesus Christ is the climax of all the covenants. It is where all the covenants were pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is going to fix the problem that man created by our sin. Not only that, he's the climax of the whole cosmos. It is only through Christ that this sin debt that has been, that not only affects you, but affects everything in this world and creation, the only way that it is reversed is through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is the only way that Satan can be unmasked in your life. So you can see the schemes that he's trying to get you to buy into. It is the only way that hell can be erased from your future. It is the only way that right now in our daily life that we live out of the fact that I don't have to earn my salvation, that God and His sovereign as just judge has declared me righteous in His Son. I am, I am perfect in Christ. And I live from that. You ought to seem to look on people's face who had never heard it. That I said for the first time in your life, you can obey God's commands because you love Him, not because you're trying to get something out of Him. That's good news. It's good news for those in Africa. It's good news for us. You will stand before the throne. Every man and woman will be accountable, including believers. 1 Corinthians 3.12 But it is the basis of our standing that's at issue today. The basis of my standing before a holy God is not my own moral efforts or striving, but it is the finished work of Jesus Christ. Is that true of you today? Are you trusting in Christ alone and faith alone? Brothers and sisters, this is the truth of God's word. When the gospel is proclaimed to you, you must respond to it, and you do. You either submit your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, and be saved, or you will reject it. want us to see this morning that without sight of Christ between you and God is an ocean of sin that you cannot navigate and so he sent his son he poured his wrath out on his son so that he could bring you to God Titus 3 verse 4 but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Brothers and sisters, the bad news is bad, but the good news is glorious. Through simple faith in Jesus Christ, we are accepted by God now and forever. That's good news. About to stand up and sing before the throne above. I was so blessed by studying the history of it. The man that wrote this way back when, there was a 
piece of scripture that went with every line of this, of this beautiful song. I close with this in Colossians 3.3. 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Brothers and sisters, that's good news. So, Lord, we thank you for the gospel. Lord, if I got up here next week and I preached the same message, it would be more beautiful. Because your word is true, it's living, it's active. It points us to you. Oh, God, I know it's hard. Your people oftentimes to tell people the bad news. But we must, Lord, convict us, Lord. Give us convictions that we do not violate those convictions, that we must speak. Lord, I pray that, that this baptismal over here will never be able to be taken down because the gospel is so glorious and so precious and so beautiful. That we dare not keep our mouth shut as our friends go to hell. God, make it beautiful to those in us today. May we see the beauty of your mercy, the sacrifice of your son. So, Lord, today, if there be one here that knows not you, Lord, would you do your perfect work? Would you bring repentance to them and salvation to their very soul today that they would repent and put their trust in you? And for those that are half, Lord, would you receive our worship as we stand to our feet and declare what you have done and who we are in you? We thank you, Lord, our Father who's in heaven but who loves us and has sent his son to save us we worship you now Father in Jesus name stand to your feet and worship